All right, so you probably saw that and go, what does that mean, right? OT. Well, there's two halves of the Bible, right? There's the Old Testament, OT, and then there's the New Testament, which is NT. So what we're going to be doing is we're going into a series where we're going to dive into character stories from the Old Testament this time. And we're really going to just peel them apart and see what the Bible has to say about these guys in the Old Testament and see what we're going to learn from them. So we're going to start with a guy named Elisha. Everybody say Elisha. So there are two prophets in the Old Testament. One is named Elijah and one is named Elisha. And they're very confusing because they do a lot of the same things. And the prophet Elisha was like the student of Elijah. Elijah mentors Elisha and takes him under his wing and teaches him what it means to be a prophet of God. And so usually when somebody's a teacher or they're like a mentor of you and you're their student, they kind of like leave behind their attributes and the things of them, their quirks, their, their fingerprints, so to speak, all over you. And you start to take on their personality a little bit. Obviously, we all have our own individual personalities. But when you're that close to somebody, when you spend that much time with somebody, they start to rub off on you. This could be your parents. This could be a teacher, um, a pastor, your boss, somebody like that. And so as a parent, I tend to leave my quote-unquote quirks and fingerprints, if you will, on my children. So I have three daughters, and I have a nine-year-old, I have a three-year-old, and an almost one-year-old. Now, my, my three-year-old, her name is Elliot, and she's adorable, but she's also the, she's ruthless, okay? She is, she is not having it, and she has taken on a lot of my, we'll say, not-so-happy qualities. Um, for instance, stubbornness. She's extremely stubborn, but she also repeats things that I don't really love that she repeats that she has heard me say at some point. So, like, when our dogs are doing something dumb, I'll say, like, bruh, what are you doing? Like, because I like to pretend to be your age and not my own. And so I'll say things like, bruh, bro, like, what is you doing to my dogs? And then my three-year-old, when the dogs are being dumb, she's like, bruh, what is wrong with you? And she starts to say these sorts of things. Or, like, have you guys ever seen that old vine where the little girl is like, I smell like beef? I said that to her once because she looked like that kid in the moment. And now all the time she'll be like, dad, I'll be like, what? She goes, I smell like beef. And it's like, it's super cute. But recently there was one instance of this that I am like, just not a super proud dad moment, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. So it's a Saturday morning and I'm sleeping in. So is my wife and sleeping in when you have kids is like 637. So it's like 645 and it's quiet. There's not a cloud in the sky. Nothing bad could happen. And then all of a sudden you hear the little pitter patter of feet down the hallway and then the door opens and there's Elliot. And she wants to climb into our bed and hang out with us. This is a normal Saturday morning thing. So she climbs up in our bed and she's laying there. She's like, okay, can we get up and go watch cartoons? Can we eat breakfast? That sort of thing. We're like, yeah, go ahead and climb out of the bed. But she won't do it. She's like frozen where she is. We're like, what is wrong? Just go. Quit being weird. And she goes, I can't go. We're like, why? She's like, because there's freaking mulch right there. So our dog is a labradoodle, right? And so he's like a, like a dust mop. So he grabs all kinds of landscaping and dirt and all kinds of crazy things, and he brings it into the house. And he got up on our bed, and he left behind a pile of mulch. And she looked at that mulch and decided it was impassable. I cannot go any further. And so then she says, I can't go. There's freaking mulch right there. And she's three. And I just was like, oof, that is, that's not great. And I'm glad that it wasn't like a real bad word, but like to hear your three-year-old hit that word real hard and confident is just jarring as a parent. But we tend to leave our mark on people that we're close to. And so the Elijah the prophet 
came before Elisha and was his mentor, taught him all these things. And so we're going to look at Elisha's life tonight and take apart his character and kind of see what we can learn from him. So we're going to start in 2 Kings 2. And the first thing we're going to learn about our character's character is that Elisha was sassy. So all throughout his stories, he just has an attitude. Like he is sarcastic. He is sassy. For instance, verse 13 and 14, it says, Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak which had fallen when he was taken up. So a little backstory. Elijah, the prophet beforehand, was just taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire. It's the Bible. It's real. You should read it. It's awesome. So he just disappears into the sky in a chariot of fire. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He then struck the water with Elijah's cloak, which is weird enough. He picked up his boss's old coat and just hits the water just smacks it real hard, gives it the what for, and then he cries out, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And then the river divided. He just hit the river into submission, and the water went, I'm out. I don't want any part of this. I'm moving out of the way. And so this is weird. He just slaps the water with his coat. What did the river ever do to you? The next thing Elisha was is he was blunt. Verse 15 and 18, when the group of prophets from Jericho saw From a distance, what had just happened, the whole river slapping scenario, they exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rests upon Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Sir, they said, just say the word and 50 of our strongest men will search the wilderness for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has left him on some mountain or in some valley. No. That's all Elisha says. No, don't send him. But then they kept arguing him until they shamed him into agreeing. He finally says, all right. Okay, send them. Go for it. See, see what happens. So they sent 50 men out into the wilderness. They searched for three days, but they did not find Elijah. And Elisha was still at Jericho when they returned. And he said, didn't I tell you not to go? Are you for real? Like, this story has this clip's energy. Girl, don't do it. It's not worth it. I'm not going to do it, girl. I was just thinking about it. I'm not going to do it. I did it. Same energy, right? Like, hey, we're going to go find your master. Elisha's like, no, he's gone. I saw him leave in a chariot of fire up into the sky, which was weird. And they're like, uh, please? Please, can we? And he's like, okay, fine. Don't do it. I told you not to do it. And then they come back. They're like, we couldn't find him. He's like, I told you not to do it. Anyways, the third thing is Elisha was environmentally conscious, okay? Now watch this clip to see what I mean. Now, you might have watched that and thought, what the heck are you talking about? And I would forgive you for thinking that because this story is wild. Verses 23 through 25, Elisha left Jericho and went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, a group of boys from the town began mocking and making fun of him. Now, any story at all, ever, whether it's in the Bible or movies or books or whatever, if a group of boys comes out of a town to you, you know something bad is going to happen, right? Anytime a band of boys, a gang of boys gets together, it's no good. It's no good. So a group of boys comes out mocking him and making fun of him. And they sing, go away, Baldy. This is in the Bible. This is literally, I'm reading you the Bible. Go away, Baldy. Elisha turned around and looked at them. And he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Now, ready? Ready, okay? Then two bears 
came out of the woods and mauled 42 of them. Okay, so what we can assume from that is there had to be at least 50 boys. And 42 of them get mauled and eight are like, no. And they run and get help because bears are mauling children out here. The moral of this story is don't pick on people who work for God, okay? Be nice to us or bears will come and maul you. I can't say that that's like literally true, but it's scriptural, so you don't, you be the judge, okay? So why is he environmentally conscious? Well, he fed the wildlife, right? He fed the wildlife, and I bet those kids were organic, and I, he fertilized some plants along the way too, I'm sure. But there's one more story I really wanted to zero in with you guys tonight that Elisha did, and it doesn't show that he's crazy so much, but it shows us some questions that God wants to ask us that are really thought-provoking. They're really great, and I want to ask you the same question. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 4, 1 through 7. It says, one day the widow of a member of the group of the prophets came to Elisha and cried out. She said, my husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. And so Elisha says, what can I do to help you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she says, nothing at all except a flask of olive oil. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can find from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told, and her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her, and the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay off your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. I don't know if you guys caught that. She had one jar of olive oil and turned it into many jars of olive oil just by having empty containers. Like some sort of volume-defying God moment just happened with jars, right? And so he visits this poor widow, and her husband dies. He, he worked for Elisha at some point, and she goes, listen, I don't have any money. There's this guy. I owe him money, and now he's trying to take my sons as collateral. Help. And he says, well, how can I help you? And what do you have? And she basically says, all I have is this stinky jar of olive oil. What are you going to do with that? And he's like, okay, here's what's up. Go get some jars. Come back. We'll make sure you're taken care of. And then they pour out so much oil. Like olive oil to us is like not a big deal. It's just a normal grocery item. Back then, it was a lot of money to have a flask of olive oil. So to have tons and tons of jars of olive oil was like to have tons and tons and tons of money. And so he turned a little bit into a lot of it. And the two questions that stand out to me from this text are, how can I help and what do you have? And I believe God is asking us these questions the same about our lives, about our callings, about our purpose. What, how can I help you and what do you have? So the first question is, how can I help? You see, Elisha was a prophet, which meant he spoke messages from God. And, and when he was performing this miracle in this woman's life, he was doing so on behalf of the Lord. The Lord would use prophets, and still does, to pour his spirit out on people and situations. Joel 2, 28 and 29 says, then after doing all those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. This is God talking. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit in, even on servants, men and women alike. And so what God is talking about here is in the days, the last days of earth, which we believe we're near those days, he's going to pour his spirit out. He's going to pour it out on everybody, you, me, everybody around. But we have to be prepared to catch what he's going to pour out. 
And so I want to ask you, do you have jars? Not literally, but figuratively. Do you have jars ready to catch what God is going to pour out on you? And what I mean by that is, if God entered this room in person right now, and he walked up to you and said, how can I help you? Would you be ready to receive from him? If God came into this room right now and, and, and said, what do you need? How can I help you? What do you have? Do you know the answer, right? Do you know what you need? Because God has created each and every one of us with a purpose, for a purpose. And we all have a vision for our life from God. But, but do you know what that is? Do you know what God is calling you to do with your life? Have you spent time in prayer and relationship with the Father so that you know his will for you? Do you have a plan? Do you have expectations? Are you flexible in the vision of that future so that when God moves in a way you didn't expect, it's a blessing to you and not a frustration? Do you know what you need? You see, Elisha asked the widow, how can I help? Do you know the answer to that question? If God were to come to you right now and said, how can I help you? Do you know the answer? Do you have a clear vision, right? Habakkuk 2 tells us to get a vision from God and then write that vision down and make it clear or plain and clear so that everyone can read it. And this is so that when we find ourselves discouraged and distracted by the things of life, we can get back on track by knowing what God has called us to do. So if you don't have that answer yet, if you don't know what that is, I wanna encourage you to pray to God, God, what is your will for my life? What do you want me to do? And when that question comes, then we can be prepared. But the second question he has for us is what do you have, right? Which is kind of a weird question to come second. What do you have? What is already available to you? You see, we can see what we have, our resources, our life, the skills, the gifts, the talents, all those, or what we don't have for that matter as a limiting factor of what God wants to do in our life. But God sees it as a starting place. God asks this question sometimes to get our priorities in order. He asks these two questions in this order for a reason because a lot of the time we will look at our resources to tell us the answer. We will look at our bank account to tell us what is possible. We will look at our education to tell us what is possible. We will look at our gifting, who we are as a person, to tell us what's possible. But that's not the way it works. You see, if we go to our resources for a vision of our life, it will always seem impossible. But if we go to God for a vision for our life, all the impossibilities dry up and go away. He wants us to see his limitless possibilities for us and then measure what we have against that rather than using what we have now to limit him. So for example, if the vision for your life is to go to college and get a business degree so you can open up your own business so that you can eventually be a light in the dark marketplace, so that you can show the love of God to people in business, that sort of thing. If you were to look at what you have right now, you'll only see impossibilities, right? I don't have enough money to go to college, so that's an impossibility. I don't have any clue of how to run a business, so that's an impossibility. I don't have a business plan lined out. I don't have inventory. I don't even know what I would sell. I don't have a handle on the market. I don't have good enough credit to get a loan, to get a store. I don't have enough. I don't have, I don't have, I don't have. But we're looking at the wrong source. When we're looking at what we have and then building a vision off of that, that's a recipe for staying right where we are and missing the outpouring of God in our lives. But if we start by asking God for the vision, if we start by asking God for the will, we are able to see all of the possibility. Guys, God's bank account is literally an infinity sign. Like he has anything and everything you could ever want, ever need, ever ask for. But we have to ask ourselves, do we really believe 
that he is God over all of it? Do we really believe that he has a plan for us? Do we really believe that he is limitless? Because if we did, where we are right now wouldn't be a limiting factor. It would be irrelevant. It would have no weight on our future. We have to fight the temptation to look at our resources for our vision instead and look to the source for it. Now, the truth is, it's okay if the answer to the first question, how can I help you, is I don't know, right? It's okay. If you don't know what God's will is for your life, that's okay. There's always time to find out. That just means we have a jar to fill, right? We have a jar that we can put out and say, okay, God, what is your will for my life? Will you pour out on me? Will you please let me know what it is you have to say on this? We need to find out the answer. And that happens to be a great invitation to have a relationship in a closer, drawn-out prayer life with God. So God says, what do you want? And maybe you're saying, I don't even know, Lord. Well, that's where that second question comes into play. Okay, well, what do you have? Because oftentimes, what we see as lack, what we see as not enough, what we count out, God counts on. Meaning, what we see as lack in our lives, God sees an opportunity. And it may not be enough right now. It may not make sense right now, but it's a place to start. God says, all you have is all I need. Even when you look at your gifts and talents and skills, the things that you're good at, they may seem like nothing to you. They may seem trivial, but God sees them as an opportunity. So maybe it's, God, you're asking me to be an overseas missionary, but all I know how to do is play soccer. Well, maybe that's the function of your mission. Maybe that's what takes you over there is you start a soccer camp at an orphanage. Maybe you start a soccer camp at an orphanage and you start teaching kids how to, to speak English at the same time and, and you teach them the, the, how to play the game of soccer and in the middle of that, you teach them about Jesus. Maybe that's the function of it. Or, or maybe it's, God, you're asking me to be a teacher, but all I'm good is organizing my stuff and keeping track of my schedule. And that's nothing to be like to scoff at because I'm terrible at it and I'm a full-grown adult. So if you have any pointers on me for me for, on an organization, please let me know. But maybe that's the exact skill some of your future students will need, teaching them not only how to organize their desk or their schedule, but how to organize their thoughts, how to build systems, and then that, that eventually in their life teaches them how to run a multi-million dollar organization, right? The, the possibilities, the small beginning, what God will start with can turn into something huge when we go to him for it. Guys, all of the things I used to get in trouble for in high school are now my job. All of the things I used to get in trouble for all of my life in school, I am now paid professionally to do. And God is using it to minister to people who were just like me. I used to look at myself in the mirror in frustration because I would be so mad at myself for getting in trouble for talking too much or trying to make everybody laugh at the wrong time or loudly sharing my answer and my opinion. But I would get mad at myself and wish I could just be the quiet kid. Why can't I just keep my mouth shut? It gets me in so much trouble. But what I didn't see then is now that God was taking my raw materials and turning them into a calling. God was taking with what I started with and turning it into something of value later down the life. He says, well, what do you have? He will take the resources that we have that are seemingly no direction and he will shape them and form them into the exact thing we need to walk in God's given purpose and calling for our life. So don't count yourself out. Don't look at yourself as not enough, but rather raw potential. How does God want to use your resources? God does a lot with a little. He wants to partner with us in that. That's why he tells us if we will be faithful with a little, we get to be faithful with a lot. And we see him do this in scripture. You guys remember the miracle of the loaves and the fishes that Jesus did, right? There's 5,000 hungry men, not including their wives 
which they had multiple for some reason, and children, which they had a billion of. So there were so many people, but the Bible says 5,000, and honestly, it was probably over 20,000. Over 20,000 people are sitting there hungry, and Jesus says, hey, disciples, we need to feed these people. And they're like, with what, dude? My bank account's empty. What do you want me to do? Everything's closed. We're miles from everything. And Jesus goes, okay, what do you have? And all they had was some little boy's lunch. And they turned it into enough food to feed every person, not just a little bit, but to where they were full. They ate exactly how much they wanted. And then there were leftovers. What do you have? What is the small beginning? What is God wanting to do with what you have right now? Elisha tells the widow to go and borrow jars from everywhere and from all of her neighbors. And I imagine she's running around like, Brad, are you done with that drink? Cool. Pours it out and like puts it in her pocket. She's like, sorry about your flowers, Grace. Like pours out her petunias and gets a flower pot, goes up to the stable where there's donkeys and camels. She's like, you guys thirsty? Not anymore. Takes the whole trough, puts all of her jars. And she's just raging, grabbing any container she can find to take and fill because that's what God told her to do. The prophet told her to get as many as she could because God was going to pour out exactly what she needed. It's interesting, though, that Elisha instructed her to borrow jars, right? Because they already took inventory. They already knew what she had, which was nothing. She didn't have any jars. She didn't have enough jars to catch what God had for her. So he said, go and borrow some. And that's the same for us, too. When we figure out what is, what is it that God wants to do with our resources We need to be humble enough to borrow jars from the people around us who know more than we do. We have to ask for help. We have to borrow jars from people who think differently than us. So maybe you're not good at organization. Ask somebody who is. How do you do that? How do I organize my life? How do you keep a planner and a schedule? Maybe you're called to be a public speaker of some kind, but you're afraid of it. You're not good at it. So ask somebody who is. How do you do that? If God called me to open a financial planning office, I'd be calling Chuck Poland immediately because I don't know the first thing about opening a financial planning office. That is not my calling, by the way. God has called me to be here. I don't know how, though, so I'm going to borrow a jar from somebody who does because God wants to partner with us, and he will bless what we prepare. And sometimes, guys, it feels silly. Sometimes it feels like, why am I preparing for college when I know I don't have enough money to go for it? Why am I working so hard when I don't, even, I don't have any scholarships, I don't play any sports, I don't have any chance of going? Why am I working so hard for this? It feels dumb. Or, or maybe God is saying, hey, I want you to go and start a business as soon as you're done with high school. And you're like, I don't know the first thing about that. I'm, I'm gonna be 18. I barely know how to put gas in my car. How am I gonna start a business, right? It doesn't make sense and it seems silly. Don't you think Noah felt silly building the ark? God told him it was going to rain. There was going to be a flood, but it had never rained before. And so every time he's building that boat, every time people walk by, they're like, what are you doing? Don't you know that like you could never go to college? Don't you know it's silly to try and build this boat? It's what are you even talking about? And he's like, well, God said there's going to be a flood. There's going to be a rain. And they're like, what's rain? He's like, well, it's where water comes from the sky. They're like, that's dumb. Water comes from the ground. What are you talking about? Right? And, and, and he looked dumb. Until the rain came, until the flood came, right? So if we are prepared, if we have the jars, if we have the things in place, if we're obedient to God and he's saying, hey, I want you to take the ACT seriously. I want you to study. I want you to go after it. I want you to stop messing around and get after it because I have a big plan for you. I want you in college. 
Or God's saying, hey, I know it's gonna be really hard to become a doctor, but I'm gonna use you to save lives across the world. Please take it seriously. God is saying, wherever you're at right now, I wanna use that and do something huge with it. And he's saying, how can I help you? And what do you have? And so what I want all of us to do is I want us all to kind of just bow our heads and close our eyes and get a little bit of our own space, right? And I want you to think, what is God asking me to do? Do you know? Do you know what God has for your life? Do you know what your, your calling is? Do you know what his will for your life is? And if the answer is no, that's great. That's awesome because it's an opportunity to approach God and say, what will you have me do, Lord? And if you do know, if you do know what God's will is for your life, what do you have? Maybe it's a big goal. Maybe it's to become a songwriter, but you don't know how to play guitar. Maybe it's God wants you to be a nurse, but blood makes you queasy. What do you have? And how can you turn it over to God right now in this moment? God wants to meet you where you're at. He has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. And he wants to do it with you. So how can I help you? And what do you have? God, we just turn it all over to you, Lord. We ask that you would come and have your way. God, I ask right now for every person in this room, every person who can hear my voice, God, that you would speak to them the will for their life. God, that you would give them a goal. You would give them a purpose because you already put that into them. God, reveal it to them. And then when they figure out what that is, God, when you've spoken it to them, I pray that you would help them to see right where they're at as the springboard, as the starting point. And they wouldn't see it as what they don't have, how they're not enough. But God, they would see it as what the opportunity, the starting line, what you're gonna do and how exciting it is, the possibilities. God, please come and partner with us. Help us to find those jars. Help us to be humble enough to borrow them from the people who know more than we do and come and have your way in our lives so that we can build your kingdom, so that you can be known on the earth to every person, so that you can be known in every hospital, so that you can be known in every school, so that you can be known in every dark corner of the globe where people seemingly have no hope. God, use the people in this room to bring your hope, the truth about who you are, Jesus. God, I pray just for a vision for every single person in here, a vision to see kingdom work done in their life and how they matter and how you want to use them in a big and mighty way, God. You want to use their testimony, you want to use the hard things they're going through right now. You want to use their parents' story to springboard them to minister to hurting and broken kids down the road, God. And I thank you for that vision. I thank you for your words and that you're speaking right now to hearts in this room. And I pray that you would come and you would show them the resources that they don't have and how you are going to provide. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center podcast. For more information on what's happening at 4640, you can check us out on social media or our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights, and we hope to see you there.